100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. Maven makes the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. The brand new B7 represents the expansion of their compact lineup and is designed to be more compact and portable than their acclaimed B3 bino. With a smaller objective lens, the binocular takes a significant leap in terms of size reduction. The B7 is available in both an 8x and 10x option, making it their most compact premium binocular yet. If you're looking for something that will fit in your pocket for deer hunting, turkey hunting, or scouting missions, but still want crystal clear optics, check out the new B7 from Maven. All their optics come with lifetime, no-fault warranty. If you run it over with your truck or your significant other chucks it at your head, they'll repair or replace it. Use code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift on any full-price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. Better Backstraps' mission is to provide the highest quality seasoning for the meat you work so hard for. They wanted to give hunters another choice besides the big box store brands full of fillers and preservatives. Born right here in Pennsylvania, Better Backstrap Seasonings will turn up the taste of your wild game. Right now, you can pick up their sampler gift box, which includes gun seasoned garlic, tall tine taco, and the original seasoning in a custom gift box. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST for free shipping at betterbackstrap.com. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by New Jersey native and hunter Paul Putera. Paul has a wealth of knowledge hunting the big woods, mountains, swamps, and everywhere in between in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, Ohio, and other places. We discuss the types of habitat that Paul prefers hunting, mature buck bedding, access, knowing when to stop when looking at sign, reading rubs and tracks, and much more. Now, this was a very long episode, so I cut it into two parts. So this is part one of two. So you'll notice it kind of ends you know, in the middle of a, a conversation, but that'll pick up next week to, to make it a little bit more bite-sized. But this episode is just packed full of really, really good information, and, and uh, I really come to love talking to Paul and learning from him. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, we have a story coming from Jason Bruner out of New York. So Jason wrote in and said, I just wanted to take a short moment to let you know how much I enjoy your content and share a hunt I had this past season in the Catskill Mountains in New York. On December 7th, I returned to a wilderness area for a bow hunt during the firearm season. 
I'd been scouting and hunting the south side of the range throughout archery season where there were southwest prevailing winds. I reached the peak ridge as the sun was coming up and waited until the day thermals started pulling up to the crest over the south slope. I walked onto the first bench at about 2,800 feet elevation and immediately smelled a buck below. I waited on the bench, but the buck never showed. I pushed east along the bench and smelled that buck again around noon. At 2.30 p.m., the smell dissipated. I moved downslope toward the afternoon food source in the valley through open timber. When I got to about 2,500 foot elevation, I saw a tail flicker at about 100 yards, and the deer bounded twice. I blew a bleak call, and he stopped. I was able to keep a spruce thicket between me, between myself and the deer while advancing towards him. When I reached the thicket, I got into a small creek channel and moved closer toward an opening when i got to the opening the buck was looking up the mountain where i came from broadside at 40 yards i pulled off a clean shot and watched him run up the mountain 50 yards and crash the carry out was about four and a half miles well jason this is a a, awesome story to come in and definitely a backcountry buck if i've ever seen one in the east and uh way back in there catskill mountains and just a beautiful deer if anybody wants to check out the photos of this deer head over to east meets west hunt on instagram or facebook and uh yeah take a look at that and if you have a story that you want to submit mountain buck monday story would love to be able to share it just send it to my email bow at east meets west hunt.com and I'll get it slated to go out. So love love these stories getting to come in. And from all the feedback I'm getting, it sounds like you guys do too. In other news, uh, got the new East Meets West Appalachian Meshy hats available on the website. So there's two colors. There's full navy, and then there's also uh, a khaki and brown color. So the whole top of it's mesh, but it's structured almost like a Richardson hat. So it has a, a, a nice like trucker feel to it. And then there's the Mountain Bucks leather patch on the front of it. I had bought quite a few of these um, and wanted to launch them at Total Archery Challenge first. So I released them there and uh, I sold most of them uh, at the, the Total Archery Challenge. They're a very popular hat. Uh, turned out great. And, and uh, so, but with that being said, I, I do have them up on the website now. I don't have as many as I plan to have up, but uh, I do have have some left. So if you want to check those out, just head over to eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop and you can find all of the apparel options there and uh, be able to check that out. And uh, since I know it's over a week after TAC in Pennsylvania, but uh, I'm just recording this intro here now. And I wanted to thank everyone that stopped by you know, my booth, as well as Timber Ninjas, we were kind of partnered up there at the, at the show with two booths being next, next to each other. It was awesome. There were so many people that stopped by and hung out and talked to your hunting. And, and, and for those of you that did purchase some apparel, thank you. I mean, that's definitely not, don't feel obligated, but I really do appreciate that. And, and everything, I mean, sold out of most of the gear that I had there. Uh, so I got to get the website restocked, but I'm making some changes. I got some new designs that are going to be coming. So, uh, what's left there right now is what's going to be left for, for a little while until I get the new designs done and, uh, get them on order. But thank you so much for everyone that came to tack. It was a really fun, fun event. I will be out in uh, big sky here and later in June, for the total archery challenge there i'll be there with sika gear and then i'll be with sika down in utah um uh their park city or wherever the new venue is there in july so those are the next two tack events that i'll be going to but i won't have my own booth at those ones it'll be i'll be there with sika and just uh doing some shooting and everything so that'll be fun the last piece of news I have is Timber Ninja is launching their new platform this week. So the new platform called the Ledge, it's a, a saddle platform, um, an aluminum platform that'll be coming out that I've been testing and they have went through multiple iterations over the last few years of this platform and uh, it's pretty cool. I think I think you guys will like it. I won't give out too many details Uh, about it now but i'll just say that it acts you can use it almost like a tree stand if you want with standing on it and moving around for those those of you that want a little bit of a bigger platform 
and uh, there, there's just a lot of really cool features with it. And um, if you want to uh, sign up for Timber Ninja's email list, so if you go to TimberNinjaOutdoors.com, sign up for their email list. When this goes live, it'll be just a two-week pre-order, and you'll be able to get 10% off if you sign up for their email newsletter. So it's just for email subscribers. The discount won't go out to anybody else. So definitely go ahead and, and sign up for that if you're interested and be able to, to be able to check that out. So uh, with that being said, let's, uh, let's jump into this podcast with, with Paul Putera. And uh, I hope you have your notebooks out because Paul is dropping a lot of knowledge. And that's why I split this one up into two episodes. But everyone have a great rest of your week. We will talk to you soon. All right. We are live. Paul Putera, welcome to the podcast. How we doing? Good man, uh, it's good to, good to get to have you on. You and I've been messaging back and forth on Facebook for uh, quite a while now. We're geeking out on uh, some different things about yep. about deer, obviously. And uh, I've I've heard you on uh, a buddy of mine's podcast or buddies of mine, the Southern Outdoorsman, in the past, and kind of been following along with you for a while. And and uh, being from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, these other places, it was like. Man, I gotta I gotta get this guy on talk some deer. Yep. Um, so you're from from New Jersey then, and uh, and do do quite a bit of quite a bit of hunting. So t- talk a little bit about um, kind of your background, what what you do um, for a living, and kind of how it makes you how you're able to be able to hunt a lot, and just kind of your drive with that. Yeah. Well, uh, I work for a family a family business building docks, so. In the winter time, we don't have uh, work because the lakes freeze over, so I don't have nothing to do in the winter. So I go hunting all winter. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't beat that. It's um, it's it's funny. I, I've said it on recent shows here, but it's like everybody that's like obsessed with chasing deer and chasing bucks, they all figure out like a job that can allow them to to hunt more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it it definitely is, but um yeah, and and your your uh resume when it comes to hunting deer and just like being efficient with your time has been has been super super impressive. So we'll we'll kind of dive into a little bit of that, but the first thing I want to talk to you about was this this travel trailer that you uh that you built that I saw you did a test run on here in turkey season. Yeah, that thing's awesome. Yeah, I got it's a uh, enclosed trailer, and it's got uh, I I put a uh, full insula- insulation in it. I put air conditioner in it. I put a wood stove in it. You know, and I, I built all the shelvings, built bunk beds. You know, so it's sweet little setup. Every, just everything runs off a little uh, Honda generator. It's a two thousand uh-huh. I generator or something. I is what I'm using. Really? Okay. I, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like, I've always wanted something like that to go on trips and like be able to live out of it. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I, I hadn't told you this yet, but I, uh, I've been working with uh, a local off-road shop that was been wanting to build some trailers and, mm-hmm. uh, and he was, cause it taught like, you see like these crazy price, like overlanding trailers that people have and all this different stuff. So I was like, all right, I helped him come up with like the design and he's been building it and it's just about done. Like it'll be done in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, he guys super talented and a buddy of mine at uh, hardcore off road, but he, um, it's basically, this is, uh, an open trailer, but it has like a spot where if someone were to take like an ATV, you could actually fit that in there. It's wide enough for it or mm-hmm. some bikes. Um, or just a bunch of coolers and totes, whatever. It's kind of open in there, but it's got a rack on top that you can either have kind of a roof or if like I have what I always run on my truck is a rooftop tent so I can put that on top to be able to sleep in. And then the sides are 11 inches deep where they'll, they have storage in there for gas cans. There'll be water with a spigot that comes out of the side of it. And then a table mm-hmm. that folds out so you can like cook one of those two burner stoves, just kind yeah. of like a minimalist, uh, setup. But I think it'll be pretty cool to, to be able to, to use. And I had, I had them run the tongue the whole way through to the back. So like you, if you wanted to, you could, 
um, use one of those, uh, do you ever see those deer, um, hangers that go into the back of a hitch so you yeah. can hang a deer up and skin it, um, yeah. to be able to have that on the back and everything. It's, it's, it's pretty sweet. So I'm excited to get the, get to try that out. I'm going to take right. it down to West, West Virginia this year. Yeah. It's, I, I got a bunch of folding cables and big cutting boards that the one deli up the road for me was going out of business. So they were throwing out all the counters and stuff in the back from the kitchen and all it was all cutting board counters so i'm like what are you doing with them and they're like oh you want them take them so i took i took all the cutting board counters so i i took it took it to my shop and i cut them up on the table saw and made sections of all these cutting boards and stuff nice so i got a pile of them <laughs> yeah are you planning on um or it would sound like you're planning on uh, making a, a pretty good loop and trip this year as far as this fall with, with hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take it down to uh, West Virginia this year and uh, for the opener. And then uh, I'm going to go uh, to Ohio, of course. And then I'm probably going to go, I might me and my buddy were talking. He wants to go up to the Adirondacks now. So oh. I might be going up with him to hunt in our spot up there and do some track in the last week of the season and uh the end of november yep. and then i might if i don't fill the west virginia tag early i'm going to come back to west virginia and escape the gun seasons around here because <laughs> I, I really don't want to deal with the new jersey gun seasons <laughs> i can imagine we were, we were talking beforehand but you know where you live in new jersey and like that's a very populated area so like yeah. public lands get smashed with people i'm sure yeah they, they get hammered so it's tough. It's really tough because every every year everything is completely changed. Like you, you go, oh, I got this sweet buck on a pattern. There's no such thing as a good pattern around here. It's just he's there, he's here one day and then he's getting bumped over here the next day. It's like you gotta. I I almost do better hunting blind around here because like I I've tried to like pattern deer and get cameras out for me on here and it's just it's almost impossible like you know where the spots are where they're gonna be when they show up but other than that like they're always getting bumped around from hunting pressure and then you got a million bears which the bears the bears end up living right in the bedding areas the same place as the bucks want to live you know they like it seems like the bucks and bears prefer the exact same spots so like it pushes the bucks out and moves them around all the time. Like, I don't know how many times you see like some, but it sometimes it could be beneficial to you because I've seen bears go into a bedding area and then all of a sudden you see the big buck come slipping out the back or something. Yeah. You know, so it, it gets them moving sometimes, but at the same time that movement gets them shot too. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that definitely makes sense. And cause yeah, you were messaging me about that. Cause I think I had talked about it with Jacob and Andrew about mm -hmm. bears and they brought up you and, um, saying how much it bumps them. And I was like, in Pennsylvania, yeah. we have bears, but not the problem that, that you guys have where they're yeah. competing for feed trees. And like, it's, that's insane. Well, you got, you got to figure I hunted last year. I started hunting September, I think, was it September 10th opens up in New Jersey. And I hunted New Jersey until I killed my first buck in uh, October 15th, I think it was. Up until that time, I saw a bear every day. And I hunted every single day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it's, it's bad. Because I, I go out every afternoon. I go out. And on the weekends, I hunt full days. Yeah, and, and for those of you that don't know, New Jersey doesn't allow bear hunting anymore. No. Well, they, they opened it up last year midway through the gun season. So okay. after, So basically, the first three days of the season ran, and you couldn't shoot bears, and all the pressure was bumping bears past you all day the first three days of the gun season. And then by the time they decided they're going to open it, they, uh, the, all the bears were all buried in the swamps where they weren't getting pushed around anymore. Ah, because like that, everybody just does deer drives up here. Yeah. You know? So you just 20, 30 people just doing drives everywhere. It's, it's comical. You got one group comes through 
And then an hour later, they push a different group comes through and pushes it a different way. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> there's not even deer left in this spot now. They're already, they're already moved. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Um, so what, what would you like, how would you describe like a lot of the places that you like to hunt? Do you typically like spend a lot of time in like big woods type areas? Do you like yeah. steep type area? Like, what do you, what do you kind of like the, to I, I like the, I like the kind of adventure, big woods, deep stuff if I can do it. But recently I've been shooting a lot of bucks right off the side of the road because all this, all this popularity with everybody going in everybody's going in deep now so yeah. now and now i'm shooting deer 100 yards from the road <laughs> well um, that's by design paul we're trying to you know, help you out you know yeah. you're not getting any younger yeah, uh, we're not getting any younger deeper. we're trying to get the, the the younger guys to go deeper in the woods and then uh you know push the deer yeah. out closer to the road I, I think it, it's so interesting because like I kind of like started watching the podcasts and stuff at the same time, this whole boom came with the, the hunting pressure and everything, you know, whenever it's all of a sudden public land got really popular and like, you can physically like see the patterns changing from year to year. Like, Oh, like originally like the deer would be in clear cuts a lot more and stuff. And now the pressure's building in them. And now you're seeing the deer coming out of the clear cuts and using it as a destination food source. You're seeing, you're seeing it like, a total swing in the deer behavior over the years now from pressure from like, it's like whatever the topic is for the summer, by the end of the summer, like don't hunt that that year immediately. Cause it's probably going to be affected by everybody talking about it. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of interesting how it builds up. It is. And I've kind of seen that with elk hunting too. Um, like it was when I first started you know, getting into elk hunting, I read a book and it was like, Go as far in as you possibly can, backpack in, you know, get to these remote spots. That's where the elk are, all the pressures by the roads. Well, everybody started doing that. And then I found that it was more, you were more efficient if you just camped at the truck and would hike in these spots Mm -hmm. that were closer and then just keep bouncing around. And it was just like things had shifted and I'm sure it'll switch back at some point. You know, it's just like these ebbs and flows with, with pressure. Yeah. You got to start hunting elk like you hunt big bucks. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 percent right. I actually, um, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be out. But I was talking to Randy Newberg out west, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how you know everything has changed. And then he was talking about how what he sees and what whitetail hunters do well. And there's like a lot of correlation between whitetail mm-hmm. hunters that do well in the elk woods. The biggest thing that screws elk hunt or whitetail hunters while elk hunting is that they're too patient or too worried about sound and, and scent and things like that. But, uh, you know, everything else, by the way, that, you know, whitetail hunters read the wind and, and thermals and understand Mm -hmm. how that all works really plays off really well in the elk. Yeah. And you could take that Western hunting and really put it right into timbered woods. If you're hunting deer, like if you look at, like you watch videos and, research on high mountain mule deer and you see how they're moving around in these you know like they'll go up into the bowl or whatever and you watch how they shift around in beds and stuff during the day as the the temperatures change and stuff they're shifting beds or getting up and feeding that stuff's all happening in the woods around here too you know it's just you can't see it because you can't spot them through the trees but it's it's happening you know so you could really take that and put that into strategy when you're hunting around here you know yeah i mean and and it's funny you say that because that's my my cousin mason is an absolute killer in the whitetail woods but he's been come obsessed with hunting high country mule deer and he's like it's made me a better whitetail hunter because i watch how they bed and he he said the Mm -hmm. exact same thing he's like it's basically like taking the the mountains or the big woods and taking all the trees off and you can kind of see how they're moving based off the sun and the shade and the, and the yep. thermals and the wind and when, how things they're finding those pockets. And it's, it's funny. And when you said that, it was like a light bulb went off. It's like, it's so true. Cause they, mm-hmm. you, know, as, you know, you and I've talked about like those deer don't just lay in that same bed and don't move for the entire day. And yeah. I know that that's a big part of your, your strategy with killing these deer. Yeah, it is. Cause, cause, Sometimes you can't get them in certain spots, 
you know. But if you know that they're going to get up and move during the daylight or something, you can get into these places and just kind of be like, okay, eventually he's going to get up and wander over this way, you know. Because, like, a lot of times you find these big bucks, and they're going to usually bed within close proximity of, like, a spring or something up in the mountains. You know, some of those higher mountains, if you could find a spring at a higher elevation where most of the water is down low, I mean, you're going to find some good stuff around those, you know, because anything that wants to get up instead of going down the mountain, they can just side hill over and get to the water source or something. And if you find it with the right habitat built around it where you got good bedding habitat and stuff, I mean, that's just, that's going to blow, that's going to put a big buck in that spot. Yeah. What, what do you consider a good bedding habitat? They got to be able to get up and feed within close, close, like, like if they could just stand up out of their beds and they can eat, you know, that's, that's a, a plus. So like, I, I like to focus on, uh, areas where I find like gypsy moth kills from the trees or you get the ash borers now they're killing all the trees off or the elms get the blight and the, all the elms die off and stuff. Those areas where that canopy, the dead, all the standing dead poles, you know, you get that dead timber up there. It changes the habitat on the bottom on the, on the, so that, that usually gives me that, that uh, diversity that I want. Because then you all of a sudden get these plants that never grow anywhere else because of the the uh, the mature hardwood forbs, you know. So all of a sudden you get all these rare forbs and lilies and all, all these weird plants that grow that don't grow anywhere else, you know. And you got that dead, decaying wood all on the ground, putting moisture into the soil, and you know it's a you know, because it's it's a big thing on all that is, it's not just uh, not just not just a, a spot, but it's also like soil health and stuff. Like, if you got like crappy soil, the stuff doesn't grow right there. It doesn't make the diversity in the food. You know, so when you find those good pockets, moisture and food and cover and terrain and water, and you put all that together, yeah. then you're gonna find the best best spots. You know. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it's funny. That's, that's, that's again, another correlation, um, out West is like one thing I've learned is areas where you find beetle kill in mm-hmm. in the mountains. So to like all the, basically the pine trees and the conifer trees will die off and it gets to a point where it allows sunlight to come in and all these grasses and plants and stuff grow mm-hmm. up because where they were drowned out before and the elk just freaking pound it you got to get it to like the point before they get so dead they fall over and it turns into Mm -hmm. just like a pile of sticks and that are that you can't get through but um that no that that makes that makes total sense i mean it's it's this it's the same concept of like what they're doing with a logging cut essentially when they're thinning it out and clearing it it's allowing that sunlight to come through that new growth to come up yeah except it's even better The Spartan Forge app utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement with over 30 years of GPS collar data, trail camera data, academic, and state research. The app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery, mapping, journaling, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. The latest update is huge. One feature that I'm using a lot during the rut is LiDAR. LiDAR basically removes the trees from the landscape and allows you to see every nook and cranny, logging road, boulder, etc. With some areas having one meter data, which just means that you can see any deviation in the land as small as three feet. During the rut, I will look for logging trails that intersect with key terrain features such as ditches or draws to funnel deer movement. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. I hadn't messed around with modern muzzleloaders until last season, and when my buddy had a CVA, I was extremely jealous of the ease of use, accuracy, and ability to take some brush beating. 
I couldn't wait to get my hands on one for myself. CVA doesn't only build badass muzzleloaders. Their centerfire rifles are quality built and budget friendly, built for deer camps across the country. Head over to bpioutdoors.com slash CVA to check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST10 for 10% off CVA products and accessories. Because nature made it, and nature is chaos, so nothing's ever the same, you know? So, like, you get the, you get the uh, a clear cut, it's just a block, you know? There's no pattern to it. They're just cutting the timber in this marked-off area. But when you get nature doing that kind of destruction, it, it, fire, too, same thing. You get fire doing it. It burns different, hotter, and work over here than over there, and it just completely changes how everything grows in that whole area, you know. Yeah, and and two, it's like, and and you you know, say that that were to happen, you know, on the side hills and some of these places that they don't traditionally like to log unless they have to, you know, that are mm-hmm. more difficult to get the trees out of, which creates better bedding habitat and places for them to to live at and feel yep. a little more secure. Yep. And, um, you know, talk, going back to, you know, talking about some of that, that bedding habitat, do you, do you tend to, when you're talking about like a, a spring seep or something that would be coming out of that, that hill. W- so traditionally that's not like what you hear as far as like, you know, bucks bedding on the points and having like, that's a whole different, you know, that's sounds like coming out of the mm-hmm. side of the mountain somewhere in uh in an area. They'll, they'll be on features but they're going to be on micro features like the, not the big stuff. Yeah. You know? It doesn't take much for a buck to have a bedding area. You know, it's, it's just food or eyes. He's got to be able to see and hear and smell, you know, and it's that normally when you can get that combination all together, that's usually when you find the bigger bucks. from what I see, like most of the deer around here, they want visual. They want some kind of visual. They want to be able to see what's going on because there's so much people that they got to be able to see, okay, this guy's over here and this guy's over here. And okay, so I got, I can get through over here and escape, you know? So they want to be in a place where they can monitor that kind of access. So like a lot of my spots I hunt, I'm shooting near right next to hiking trails, next to roadsides, near parking lots, like, a lot of a lot of places where where a buck would sit there and just watch what's going on, you know, and like even like the does, he's not going to bed with the does. He's going to bed off somewhere to the side and watch the does, you know. And then he can see if you if you start walking into that bedding area and bumping all those deer around near him, he can sit there and stand up in his bed and watch what's going on and watch what all the other deer are doing and make his own decision on what he needs to do to survive, you know? And that's every time you look at a bed, you got to really think about all that kind of stuff that's going on because a big buck is, that's how he's, that's how he's living. You know, he's got to have certain, a certain plan to escape. Yeah. Yeah. And if they, if he got that old, if it's a, a big mature deer, he didn't figure that out from being stupid. If he had been stupid, mm-hmm. he would have got shot at some. And maybe it's a lot of luck, but they eventually get <laughs> get smart yeah. and and figure those things out. But that's such a good point on the does. Like they act as they d- bucks use them. They use them as an mm-hmm. alarm system. So many times you you find yeah. that, and you might not even ever see that buck. Mostly, you probably wouldn't because by the time you spooked those does, you yep. know he slipped out and he was gone. Yeah, or or he didn't even go anywhere, and he just didn't come in because he just got edgy. Yep. You know? He'll be like, ah, maybe I'll wait a little while before I come in now. You know? Yep. And then you lose your opportunity at him. So it's it's so hard. That's that's the thing I think a lot of people screw up on is access. You know, because if yeah. you don't access those spots right too, it's a, it's such a puzzle to do all that like between finding the beds, finding the, where the deer are, and then you got to figure out access, how to get in clean. There's, there's so many things you got to do in order to actually kill a deer. Sometimes it's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. It's kind of overwhelming too. Like there's like, I'll get into situations and it seems like it's very rare that two situations are alike. 
Mm-hmm. It's like it's like so, so important to learn the recognizing of these different things and just try to play it through your head and just be like yeah. and get creative with it sometimes because there's not like a, a good rule of thumb that always you come in from this way or you do this. It's like you have to get creative with it and figure it out. Yeah. And that's I spend a lot of time after the season scouting and learning not just the betting, but how they're traveling, why they're traveling where they're traveling like trying to figure out the whole thing so what i can i'm not necessarily always even using that information to kill a deer in that spot but i'm using that as you know i'm putting it in there so when i go into a spot and i see something i can kind of make a good judgment on what i'm gonna have to do next based on my past experiences in something you know and that's that's what i do a lot because i kill a lot of deer like i know they're there but i'm, I'm very blind because i don't use cameras very great i don't do a lot of cameras or anything like that i have some but like i'm not i don't use any of that kind of pattern stuff like that like i, I go in there i physically find the sign that i want you know I'll, I'll i'll find a buck down on the bottom and backtrack them up a mile and a half away and then you'll know, figure out okay he's going to be up here and i'll go up there and kill him you know i i don't necessarily put a camera out and go okay he's going to come in on this and he's going to do that it's a lot of it's just built up from time in the woods yeah you know and and the the, the backtracking thing is, is so interesting and you're talking about like in the bottoms is that because like you can see the tracks easier in the bottom because it's you know we yeah. wetter and softer well, you, yeah that's 100 percent. you can see and track like like rainy days people like will take a day off on a rainy day or something i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna be on the ground and i'm gonna be looking because i can see tracks really good then you know like i take advantage of that kind of stuff like if it rained all night I'm not going to go sit in the morning. I'm going to be driving around checking deer trails, crossing roads and stuff and looking for a big set of tracks, you know, because the deer get bumped around and move so much around, around me that I have to do it that way because there's no real pattern. You just got to take the pattern that's unfolding for that day and capitalize on it. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That's, that's, that's such a good point. And like, the, the, the thing with the bottoms is like, I was just talking to somebody the other day and I was like, if you don't know anything about like looking for certain features on a map or doing anything, just walk the bottom of a drainage. And mm-hmm. you know, even, like if you're scouting in the spring, sometimes I'll just like walk, I'll like say, I'm going to walk two miles up this drainage and I'll mark these trails and what I'm seeing and tracks and stuff that are in there, come back to the best one and follow it up in the Hills. And then you start getting up there and you start seeing like, okay, where, what makes sense for a mm-hmm. deer to what makes them feel comfortable living in, in this yeah. place? Yeah. And I, I've done that. Like the one, uh, I think I, I should get pictures of that, that buck I just got back from the taxidermist. Yeah. You know, that, that deer there, I tracked that deer a mile and three quarters from the road in bare ground, you know, but I, I followed that deer back and I, it, it took me four and a half hours to follow that deer back to where I thought he was probably bedded up for the day, you know, but I, you know, like you get over, you get up to a certain point and then you don't have any more sign, you know, and then you're like, okay, where would I go if I was this deer, you know, and you, you follow it that way and then, oh, okay, here's a scrape. Let me go check. Nope. He doesn't have his track in this scrape. All right. Oh, here's a patch of mud. I can walk over and check this wet spot here and see if i could pick up his track over here you're looking for like little clues along the way you're not like physically following tracks the whole di- distance you know so like the last the last leg of that before i set up for that deer i hit a scrape line and there was his tracks going both directions on it and i had to make a decision which way is he going yeah um, i was is he, is he coming this way on it or is he's going to be going this way you know it's like I'm like, then I pull up my map and I'm looking, I'm like, well, if he's going that way, he's getting into a spot that's going to get more pressure from people. You know, I'm like, so I'm going to bet that he's probably over on this side, you know? And then I look on the map and I I see this perfect bowl with like a swamp in the bowl on the top of the mountain. And it's all these 
ledges and benches and stuff. I'm like, that's got to be where he's laying down, you know. And sure enough, that's what I, when I set up for that deer, he stood up at 170 yards away and came right in. Yeah, you know, but it, it had a, had I went 20 feet farther forward, I would have never seen that deer because he would have seen me. You know, but it's just like just full trust in the gut to kill that deer. You know, it's like I knew he was there, but it's like I never even went in there and looked for him. How did you know when to stop? That that was like when I had a scouting camp here recently. That was the number one question people asked when we were we were walking, we were finding sign. I'm like, oh, this you know, good sign. They're like, well, how do you know when to stop? And that's that's a that's a, a hard you, question you, to answer. You learn to stop by jumping a lot of deer. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. that's the honest truth. You yeah. just you gotta you're gonna just keep blow. Eventually, you keep blowing them out. You're gonna learn not to blow them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I feel like I've always been like, really, I've been on the more aggressive side, which has mm-hmm. like led me to blowing more out than not. And that's yep. helped me learn though, like to be able to recognize it because before I get like, I do the tiptoe thing. And this is where I, where the hate of cameras and history in an area where the, the negative of this is for me, I know too <laughs> much about the area that I start taking previous experiences too much and being like, uh, I think, you know, he, he, I think he was laying here at some point, but the sign's not telling me that he's right there at that point. But then I stop and it's too early and then you don't see anything. Yep. And it's like, sometimes it's, it's pushing that envelope. And like, once you do it enough, you just, you feel like this bucky feeling like, and it's like, yeah. okay, now we're yeah. starting to get to a spot where, you know, if, if he is laying in this bowl somewhere on one of these little tiny points that are coming out, like he could probably see me or, or smell me yeah. or something. And when you're moving into those spots, be ready to shoot. Because I've killed two Pennsylvania bucks in the last two years before I even got to a tree. You know, that I killed that I killed that big seven and a half year old, whatever he was, is a one forty three in twenty twenty. I killed that deer on the ground at ten feet, you know. I, I shot that deer from the ground, still hunting, tracking him. And then really? I killed my buck last year doing the same thing at like 10 feet on the ground in Laurel. Dang. Is what, all, what? all of a sudden I see the rack coming out of Laurel on my full draw and bow. You know, it wasn't, well, he was only, uh, he's probably a three and a half year old. He wasn't a big Pennsylvania deer, but I mean, he was like, he was a seven pointer. It was twenty, probably twenty two inches inside, but he just had these little tiny points on him, just big long beams. It was like Bullwinkle. Yeah. I, I saw that deer, and I mean, I'm I'm like, I th- I'm like a mile and a half back in the woods, you know, on in a laurel, big laurel knob, and I I see that thing at ten feet coming through the laurel grunting. I'm like, you know, you're you're getting ready, but like, I'm following the scrape line in there to go kill that deer yeah and it it was cool though because when i went in there to kill that deer i was scouting and marking places to kill deer along the way you know for potential sits for the the following day and i killed my deer my buddy came up helped me drag it out and i put him in one of those spots and he killed his buck the following day which is even bigger than one i shot so we killed we doubled up and so we had two big bucks down in the same same area within less than 24 hours of, and never been in there before, completely blind. Isn't so. And you, and another point that you can't stress enough is the walking with an arrow knocked when you're still hunting mm-hmm. and doing that. Like I can't – it it gives me anxiety when I, if I see somebody like with a bow on their back or if it's just in their hand and not an arrow knocked like when you're when you're in those spots where you're like in some good sign it's like dude yeah. like you gotta 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 be ready because yeah sometimes they'll hold tight too and pop up right when when you get close to them and you mm-hmm. can get them to stop out at 25 30 yards sometimes and get a yeah. get a shot yeah or you shoot them point blank like i keep doing yeah i killed i killed i think i killed seven bucks now at like 10 feet like that like on frontals and stuff stupid shots coming right at me like yeah they're they're all of a sudden you're walk because you're walking the trail and they're coming down the trail the other way 
you know, so they're meeting head on, you know, so like, you're just like, oh, crap. get the bow back. And then as soon as he steps into an opening, you just flap. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. And, and how, how, when you're doing, when you're still hunting slash scouting, kind of backtracking these deer, like how fast are you walking at that point? If I'm in a spot where I think the deer is at nighttime, I'm moving pretty quick, but I'm like, I'm moving slow enough that like what, what helps you a lot is when you're doing it without snow, you're going, you got to go like a snail anyway to just read sign. So you got to be pretty meticulous. So it kind of, you kind of, you end up still hunting as you go just to read the sign properly. Cause like you gotta, you can't miss anything, you know, like some, sometimes you just get tipped off. Like you'll see, you'll, you'll come around a corner and you all of a sudden you'll notice there's a lot of browsing right here. You know, it's like, why, why are these deer browsing so much right here? Well, if they're going to be browsing bushes and stuff, they're probably bedding nearby, you know, cause they'll yeah. get up out of a bed and they'll browse. You know, so you, you kind of let that stuff tip you off. You see that kind of stuff. You're like, Oh, I better slow down. Yeah, you know, I got I got to really pay attention now. Yeah, when you see that, like the browsing areas like that, are you is that like a, a sign to stop a lot of times and maybe set up, or is that you still yeah, kind of keep going? It starts to really indicate something because you're 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 probably inside the bedding area at that point if you're actually picking up browse. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. Like, like okay, I better better slow down because he might he they might have been bedded right here this morning because this is a sunny spot, but if I look over there now I can see there's a patch of hemlocks over there that's shaded out and I mean it's it's one o'clock in the afternoon they're probably moved back into those hemlocks in the shade for the afternoon, you know and then okay I'm gonna set up here and they're gonna get up and come past me, mm-hmm. you, know, you just kind of you got to feel it out like that. Or if yeah. you notice, they're like, oh, there, there, there's a lot of sign on that Oak Ridge I went to before. So from this point, I'm going to J-hook out and go up and get between those hemlocks and, and that Oak Ridge, you know? Yeah. You make like, a, make like a move like that. Yeah, a lot of, it sounds like a lot of reading sign on the fly and then mm-hmm. like making making decisions from it. And it's, yeah. and it's it's so hard because like if you haven't done it, it's it's difficult to know what what to do but the more you do it and like you said like honestly a good thing to do is just screw it up a whole lot of times yeah. and then you start seeing those trends yeah and pay attention when you're scouting deer scout scout to jump them you know don't just go crashing through an area and be like oh look here's sign over here and yell to your buddy and stuff like go nice and easy go quiet jump them you know, you're not, you're going to learn way more if you jump the deer than if you didn't jump them, you know? So then t- sometimes that tips me off to some of the biggest bucks I've ever seen. You know, the, the biggest buck I killed in Pennsylvania, that's how I, that whole journey started. I, I jumped that deer three days earlier. I go into a spot, a completely blind spot I never been to, you know, and I go down in there and I'm like, if I was a giant buck on this 15,000 acre chunk of chunk of woods where am i gonna live and i i just got lucky to where i picked the spot the deer was bed and i went in there to go i'm like i'm gonna work in here and i'm gonna check it out and feel it as i go and if it feels good i'll set up and just about where the point i wanted to set up i jumped it you know so i jumped that deer three days earlier and then i came back in the morning i set up directly over that tree in the morning I figured out, I'm like, if he comes back through here, I'm going to drill him when he comes back to his bed. But he never came back. So the fo- that that day, I spent the whole day learning his pattern, but I went the wrong direction down the swamp line. And I'm like walking this pattern. I'm like, this sign is getting older and older as I go down to this swamp. Because I mean, I think the swamp's like was like 4,000 acre swamp. You know, so I'm like, but it's getting older and older. I'm like, I'm like, this is transitioning out to like September, early October sign. Like, and the habitat is also telling me the same thing. So I'm like, the following day, I came back in and I started working the other edge of the end of the swamp. And I'm like, okay, now it's starting to pick up, you know. But I, I had to make sure, I had to like clear it to make sure that end was clear first and work that piece first, you know. But then when I'm going in to set up, where I thought that buck was going to be bedded again, 
I come around the corner and he's rubbing a tree at 30 yards, you know, and I, I'm between him and I'm in the rhododendron along the edge of the swamp and he's rubbing his big like signpost tree and he turns. I, I, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take a shot at this thing. I'm like the wind switching. I can move. I maneuvered while he's rubbing the tree. I used that and maneuvered so I could get an angle, you know, and then he stood up when he finished rubbing the tree. He stood up and he turned and walked right at me. <laughs> and he came right around the when he came around the rhododendron bush. I'm standing there looking at him, you know. And I, I I shoot him straight straight through almost almost straight frontal, like I hit him right here, right to the heart, and then out like the last rib. Yeah. And he took off. He I, I had to physically step out of the way so he wouldn't take me off take me out as he went <laughs> past me and then he crashed like like i think like 80 yards away from me he just dumped oh. he was gone survivor 46 is here and so is on fire the only official survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of survivor 45 d Vyadaris, will be joining us every week we're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me a survivor winner listen to on fire the official survivor podcast wherever you get your podcast It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. That's that's such a deadly shot too. Yeah, at close distances to be able to like those frontal shots because if you have a a good arrow set up that you're confident going through there, mm-hmm. I, I've watched it. Like I, my favorite one was this this uh, big eleven point. At the time it was my dad's biggest deer, and back in 2005 that he shot frontal on a clear cut, and he was going through and he was grunting and he was hunting this buck for a bunch of days and never could get him outside his clear cut, so he went in on the ground. And he had grunted and it came in and it came into like five yards frontal and he shot it and the arrow mm-hmm. and he had the, the muzzy, um, uh, four blade broadheads mm-hmm. were sticking out of the back leg, like, you know, like, you know, a good five, six yep. inches out of the back leg, went the whole way through him and out the other side, such a deadly shot. Yeah. That's I, I, I always shoot the, uh, I'm shooting those sever mechanicals. Now I'm actually shooting mechanicals. Okay. They don't break, but what I do is I shoot a, a 500 grain arrow with them, you know, and I, and I have a, a 31 inch draw. So oh my gosh, nothing yeah. really gets, gets past me with the, that draw length, you know? So that at 70, 72 pounds, it's just, it's blasting throw. Yeah. I, I have to worry. I, I have more problems tuning fixed blade broadheads because of my draw length and stuff than anything. Yeah, no that 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 makes a lot of sense, and and those those severs are are cool heads. Like they, um, uh, yeah, I love they, what are they the inch and a half cut? Is that the one that you use? I got I got the two inch in mine. Right the now. two inch ones, okay. Yeah, yeah that 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 makes they sense. They don't deflect. Uh, you know that's what's nice about them because I I've killed probably twenty five deer with them now. You know I killed a lot of deer with them. That's that's the benefit of living in New Jersey. Yeah. you got you can shoot six bucks. And you could shoot unlimited doe. So, if you want to shoot something and put something in the freezer, you could go out and shoot a doe every day. Yeah. Okay. If not multiples, you know, you just go down the urban zones and take them out. <laughs> yeah, that that gives you practice. <laughs> it gives you lots of practice. You get lots of you learn a lot a lot about broadheads and what's good and what's not. And, yeah. Know shot placement like all those Mm -hmm. all those different things and that's that's where i i always felt like uh i put myself at a disadvantage with growing up hunting these low deer density areas and you know one buck one Mm -hmm. doe type of deal and we weren't like it was like a sin to shoot does before like so it was like basically it was like one deer a year and that was it and you just don't get a lot of practice with that so it like felt like my learning curve to get you know shooting deadly at, at 
animals took a little bit longer than to be able to shoot, you know, five, six deer a year. Yeah, that's it. I, I got, I got my first, first buck in uh, New York state at our prop. We have property in New York. I think we got like 150 acres or something up there. When I was a kid, I shot a, I shot a spike up there and then I killed the second buck in Pennsylvania that year. And then the following year, I killed one with the bow. And then I killed one in New York, one in Pennsylvania again. Actually, no, I killed I killed another one. I'm trying to remember it. It's like a million years ago. But, yeah, I killed like, I think I killed four bucks that year. And then the, my third year, I just started going Rambo with it and like once i once i figured out how to kill him with the bow it was like it was downhill for all the deer around me at that point you know yeah it, there was do, you, so, do you do you feel like that's helped you a lot now with like once you have an opportunity to big buck that you just feel super confident because yeah. of all that experience i don't get shaken up too bad when i shoot like usually i get a little 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 jittery after i shoot but i don't get like freaked out like i'm always in control i know exactly what i'm doing you know i don't i don't black out or anything like you hear the stories like my uncle was notorious for that he'd shoot everything in the antlers <laughs> yeah. he'd, he'd see he'd see the antlers he, he, every buck he ever killed during gun season had a had a slug going through the rack it's like <laughs> what what are you doing but you get you get asphyxiated on that and maybe that's what he would do you know yeah Oh, that's, that's funny. Um, going back to some things you were talking about when, when you're like tracking these deer on dry ground and you're kind of going in and finding these areas, you're talking about finding good sign and hot sign. What, what are you considering like good sign or like that you're looking at that's fresh? Uh, mostly it's going to be tracks for me. Okay. I'm going a lot off of footprints. Like I'll, I'll like, if I see a rub, I'm like, okay, sweet, a rub. That means I can walk up to it and see if there's a track on the ground from the deer that made it. You know, I'm really concerned about the foot, you know, because there's only so many deer in the woods that make a 200 pound trap. You know? Yeah. And that's, I, I'm sure like there's some areas around me that have really big rack deer, but smaller bodies. And I'm sure I've walked right past some really magnum deer over the years. But if you look at my, my rec my history of what i've been shooting i've been shooting a lot of deer like 190 to 200 pounds because i'm always going off foot size the track you know? yeah. and then most of the time it means it's got big rack tail you know what what's a good rule of thumb for people like when they're identifying a track to know it's like a mature buck or a heavy buck it all depends on where you live for, you know because you got different like around here i go with like a four finger track you know mm-hmm. like I, I want at least like it to be i got really big fingers so i need a <laughs> it'd probably be like probably be like three and a half inches yeah wide. you know and then it, it would be like probably four inches long yeah that makes yeah. sense and 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 two I'm like looking, i mean i'm looking for a rounded toe too I want I want a more rounded out toe because if it's if it's long and sharp, it's usually a big deer that's younger because they don't wear their hooves out as much. Once they get older, they start getting big chips in the hooves and stuff, and they start wearing the toes down and grinding them out. You know, so you'll you you can almost see like they get like wide in the the toe. It's like flattened out. Like you can see where it just it just worn out it's like an old sneaker. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, so. I love, I love when you find the ones that are like all crooked and like, you can just mm-hmm. tell like the, like the toes want, like there was a buck that I remember I'd always find his track and it was just like, he had this crooked toe and it was like, that was the easiest buck to be able to identify yeah. because he was so, it was so awesome. Yeah. One busted toe. Yeah. I, I've hunted deer like that. I had one that had a short toe. Really? He like, it was like, he had, had one long toe and the other one was about the half, half the length. So you, you, as soon as you saw him, you knew exactly what deer it was. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really funny, and and too like, I mean, I, I'm sure it's, that'd be harder on like dry ground because you're finding like a single track that's giving you that information. But like in the snow, I like I like looking at ones that are wide apart, like the the footprints yeah. are wide yeah. like width apart, because then it means like they probably have a pretty big barrel chest on them. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Sometimes yeah. you can find that when you're walking in bare ground too, like they'll cross. Uh, they'll cross a muddy patch so you can get tracks and you can measure the width or they cross a, a brook or something, a stream and they get to the sand on the brook or something. Or if they walk through moss, you can get an imprint where and measure the width or even leaves. Sometimes if the leaves are wet enough, you can get like the little pock marks in the leaves as they go. But moss is really good because moss has a spring back to it. Yeah. So if, yeah. You, if you see where deer walking through moss and you can see that imprint in the moss, you know, it took a certain amount of hours for it to rise back up. So you, it tells you how far behind you are a lot of times. Ah, oh, that's a, that's a good, that's a good tip. I, I didn't, I would not have thought of that. It, yep. Yeah. Cause like you think, yeah, moss is kind of like carpet, like when you go down mm-hmm. on it and it, you know, it comes back up. Like for example, you have a chair sitting on a uh, carpet for a while, it'll wear down. But when you yep. r- remove that chair after a while, it comes back up. Yeah. It's e- even like dirt. It's all, it's critical to age a track, you know, like even in dirt, like it's going to be a lot crisper when they first step in the dirt. Then a couple hours later, it's going to start kind of crumbling and moving out, you know, and that could be the difference between you going to the right location or the wrong one. If you find where that deer is going back and forth, yeah. you know, you'd be like, okay, his, his tracks a lot fresher going this way, you know, and you just got to look at those subtle, subtle little things. A lot of people mess up and they'll walk right through it and step right on the sign and then they won't be able to read it. You know, so like when I'm like following a deer, I'm, I always try to walk right off to the edge of this, the deer trails or something, you know. So if I got to turn around and go back, I might pick something I missed. You know, I, tr- I try not to tamper with the sign I'm following. Just like when you're blood trailing a deer. I was just going to say, just like blood trailing a deer. That's exactly, yeah. exactly yeah, right. It's the same thing. You're just doing it the whole time you're hunting. Yeah, that's that's been ingrained in my head because my dad would yell at me all the time if we'd be tracking a deer and I'd be like walking in the tracks like no stay, stay off to the side and you know to to in case yeah. we miss something or we lose the blood and need to go back and figure out the track and all that different stuff. Uh, that's that's yeah. a really good really good tip. Um, and then like and then two so like we, you know tracks are your main kind of sign and but. And rubs, you're walking up and looking for a track, and scrapes, you're yeah. looking at the track. Yeah. Is there anything with those things that like that with, like, the do rub, get you like, excited? I, I will look in the rubs, like for gouging and burr marks and stuff. Like usually, a lot of the older bucks, you know, they got a rougher rack on the bases and stuff. So you're you want to want to find those nice quarter inch gouges or deeper around the tree, like where they're really pushing in with the bases. You know, and just, you know, you can, then you can get the measurement from the base height as hard, high as he can lift his head on the rub. And then you can measure up from that and find the little gray scratch lines above it on the tree. You know, you can measure his rack out and see how tall he is and figure that out. Like I, I had the one buck I was following last year. He rubbed a, a cluster of trees and he was rubbing the one tree and it was a pretty substantial like three and a half inch tree but he was hitting a bush like a foot and a half two feet away behind that tree so i'm like he's got long tines to be able to reach from there and hit the back side of that and tickle that other tree while he's rubbing you know so i'm like this buck is probably the one i'm after because of just the overall size of the rack on this one you know it it kind of builds the shape of the deer i'm tracking you know? Yeah, so you, you can you can predict what the deer looks like before you even get to them. You know, it's 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 so it's it's so crazy. It took me so long to pick up on that. Like when a buddy of mine, Greg Litzinger, he I mean, he taught me a lot about rubs because I just looked at rubs mm-hmm. for the most part and was like, okay, there's a rub. That's a signpost. I like that a little more. And just kind of there's a cluster. Okay, maybe they're bedding somewhere in here and kind of like had the basics, but. 
once I really started and he was telling me about like, look at the rub, see what's behind it, see what's being touched. Is there just, you know, even a little nick off a branch behind it? Like yeah. what, what is this deer doing? And, and you may not be a hundred percent right, but you can kind of gain a, uh, an idea or a reasonable yeah. assumption off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I've walked up to some stuff and you look at it and you're like, the first the normal guy would look at that and be like, Oh yeah, that's nice. You know, but if you physically get up and look at it, you'd be like, that doesn't look like much, but it actually is. That's a, that's a big deer that did that. Yeah. You know, like you just, you could just tell the difference, you know? You, yeah. And that's what, that's the difference between hunting sign and hunting good sign, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, and, and then what about scrapes? Like what do you, what do you look at at scrape for scrapes? scrapes i'm looking for track size i'm looking for the width the, the demeanor of the deer that's doing it like a mature buck builds a scrape differently than a younger deer you know like you're, they're gonna they're gonna dig it out harder they're gonna be more exact on where they place them like it makes sense why it's there like you look at it and you're like okay that those are coming off of this way. This trail is intersecting here. This is placed exactly here for exactly this reason. Like you, you could like, they don't make a scrape for nothing. Like a younger buck, you see a younger buck, they'll be pawing around. Yeah. Just, they, they, they want to do it, but they don't know what they're doing. You know? Yeah. But a big buck knows exactly what he's doing. Like he knows, okay, this is, this is Jenny over here. And I'm going to go over here and make a scrape for Jenny. And then I'm going to go to Betty down the ridge here and make one for her. Like he, he <laughs> knows exactly where every single deer is in that forest. You yeah. Know? And you, you'll get that. You'll get that. They don't just make their rounds in the, uh, the rut, you know, they do that all year round up in the mountains. They just, they're like, they, I, I swear, they, they get out and do the, these excursions in the summer as much as they do any other time of the year. Yep. Like, you, you put cameras on scrapes, and that buck will be over here. And he came all the way over to that place because he's checking on his girls over there. And he's making sure they're still there and making sure everything's cool. And then he gets on his way and he goes to his other place. So, like, it's, it's tricky when you get them on camera. Sometimes you think this buck is right there in your lap. But no, he just came through here for a couple days in the summer, and he was just checking stuff out over here. And actually, he lives four miles that way. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you can see that from the GPS color data, like looking at it mm -hmm. and see like these certain bucks will make these excursions. And I've always found from my cameras that running a lot of cameras was August time frame. I'd have some of the biggest bucks show up and then just disappear. They come yep. in and then they, they go away and then like they might come back during the rut or there might be a period when they come back. Mm -hmm. But it's like my opinion that, yeah, he's just checking out his, he's like, all right, what's this look like, you know, this year, where, where's everybody hanging out at? What's the situation like? And just yep. do these little excursions. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. As I mentioned in the intro, this is part one of two. So next week we'll have the second part of this that comes out. There's so much information here. Wanted to, to split it up and make sure everyone was taking it all in until next week. We will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.